I, already, I always want my PR department. I may say something I shouldn't, but that's... But they're okay with that. <laughs> yeah, we have the same problem on here, except for it's Brent's potty mouth. <clears throat> hey, hey, hey. Okay. Just need that explicit rating. So okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, now uh, iTunes just turned on a new thing. They uh, they allow you to have much larger uh, images. I guess that's because they show up on iPads or whatever else, and now you can change the image size to a much larger resolution. Uh, and then the other thing is they now require you to uh, specifically select explicit or uh, clean, um, and I always lie. I figure I figure you get like two cuss words per yeah, show I mean, yeah. <laughs> for it to still be clean, and it's mainly just Brent. I mean, you know, we just blame that on his upbringing. No, we have guests too that swear, so I just want to make them feel. Comfortable. Yeah, you just want them to fit in. You're like one of those one of those great people that are accommodating. Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's right. I know you hate it, but you have to force yourself to be yeah vulgar for this. <laughs> I understand. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a. We're here. We're ready to go. We've got it all tested. So let's do this thing. Are you ready, Brent? I am ready. Awesome. Welcome to episode 36. It's amazing. It keeps the number keeps going up and up, and that's what we like about it. Uh, episode 36 of the Hot Isle, and I am one of your hosts, Brian Carpenter, and with me, Brent Piatti. Good morning. Good morning. And you're with me in a spiritual sense because you're really like um, I don't know, roughly 18 hours driving away. But yeah, it's amazing. You know, Texas is. If you look at a map, it looks pretty dang close to Arizona, but uh, the drive to get to you is a good 12. Fifteen hours. Well, I'm going to go with eighteen still because I think I'm right. So, you know, we have a show to do this week and not talk about Texas, and it's not a show about you know traveling around Texas. That's a different podcast. Um, the goal of this show, we're going to talk about OpenStack Summit. So, we're going to talk about the new and hot and what just happened, OpenStack in general, what's going on, um, what the story is, what the story's not. Um, we won't talk about who does and doesn't like it or you know whatever fake uh, Twitter accounts are out there, but. Um, OpenStack Summit 2016 just happened this week. It wrapped up in Austin, again, that big state of Texas. Um, and we wanted to educate you on the latest OpenStack updates, kind of what went on this week, what was exciting, um, and then to find out you know, where OpenStack's headed. With us, we have Ken Hui. He's allowing us to call him Ken this week. So Ken, how are you doing? Fine. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me on. Uh, we're fantastic. So Ken, uh, a lot of people know him. Ken's a, uh, been around the OpenStack community for forever. Uh, currently, you are a, the senior technical marketing manager and a technology evangelist for Rackspace. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. Awesome. And um, Rackspace has a has a nice storied um, a, lo- a long tenure with OpenStack. I think. Oh yeah, I mean uh, it's funny. Uh, some people still don't uh, might have forgotten, but actually we're one of the founders of the OpenStack project um, about six years ago. Back when actually the first summit was in Austin, we had. I think 75 people is my understanding. And uh, today, or, or this week, we had 7,500 people in Austin. So we went from one conference room in a hotel to the Austin Convention Center. That's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome growth. So, hey, yeah, Kenneth, yeah. Uh, real quick. No, I had a question, though, because I was looking up the lineage of names. Um, wasn't Austin the first release of uh, the first re- like, uh, release name of OpenStack? Um, yeah, so the way the uh, for, for those who don't know, um, OpenStack has a release every six months, and the way they pick the names now it's related to the uh, city where they uh, actually have the convention. So, for example, um, the latest release was Mataka, which is actually a city in uh, in Japan, which is where the last design summit that where they actually. Uh, designed and came up with the uh, architecture for this release, for the latest release. Very cool. So um, what happens when you run out of letters in the alphabet? Where do you go next? Good question. I guess if you go to a numbering system, that would be A1, A2. Um, hopefully by then we're all retired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, we're already at M, so we're, we're, we're rounding the corner. That's true. To be honest, I think by then... Uh, and that's one of the topics we'll talk about is we'll be so enterprisey, we'll just be calling these things 2.6.7.9. Yeah. It was, we'll, uh, just, oh, there'll be star dates, basically. You know, let's, let's, uh, let's move on. We're going to get a ton of OpenStack stuff in. Um, let's talk, you know, a little bit about you for a second, right? So sure. uh, you've, been at, you've been at Rackspace before, um, yes. but you're back. So how's the new gig going? 
going by quite well. You know, um, I actually feel like I'm coming at a good time. I think Rackspace, uh, for a number of reasons, I think we're kind of uh, hanging loose, <laughs> laying low for a couple of years. And I think they've made a decision that, you know what, we actually have a lot to say in the open stack space and that we we should be a little more vocal about the fact that we run the largest open stack cloud in the world, uh, both public and also uh, some of the largest private clouds in the world. So one of the things, for example, uh, at this summit in Austin is they actually went, uh, rented out a restaurant across the street from the convention center and, it helped, and basically had an open bar and book signings and tech talks and we had probably thousands of people coming through. And it's all part of this really big push to say, you know what, um, not only is Rackspace in the OpenStack game because we founded it, but we're actually major, uh, the, maybe the major player in it still. Yeah, the pictures of that, I think I saw one that you actually tweeted. The pictures of that were awesome. Yep. Um, nothing better than Mexican food in, in Austin. And I thought that was a genius idea to just rent out that, uh, that uh, room there and have people come in, grab some lunch, chat with experts. There's a I mean, frankly, from a marketing perspective, that was pretty smart. Yep. Yeah, and we got a lot of great press, actually. Um, so we actually, it wasn't even one room. We literally rented out two floors that um, with an outdoor patio in the back. People loved it. So, Ken, what, what are you focused on, man? So, you know, senior technical marketing manager and tech evangelist, um, what, what is your main focus, um, you know, outside of, obviously, the OpenStack, but, you know, what do they What do they want you to accomplish there? Yeah, I think two things. One is uh, we want to build some awareness again that um, that Rackspace is uh, a, you know the leader in the OpenStack space, and that we have a lot to offer. You know, based on our operational experience. So I think this we want to build that awareness that we're here to help as much as we can. So anyone you know anyone who uh, who wants to learn about OpenStack, you know, we are the people you can come and talk with. And then the second thing, obviously, is we're, we're trying to build a business. <laughs> and we have a public cloud that's running based on OpenStack. We have private cloud solutions based on OpenStack. And kind of my job is helping people really understand what you can do on top of an OpenStack cloud. I think that's a lot of the focus, you know, the past few years have been how to actually deploy it and kind of keep it running. Uh, but what's most, you guys know, the most important thing about technology it's not the operational side. It's actually, although that is important, it's what you can do on what the business can do to build great applications. Absolutely. So just kind of carry the message of OpenStack and, and and make sure that um, you know people understand how it can be used, how it can be leveraged, uh, and how you guys are doing it. Right. Um, so Ken, I, I read a blog post. So you you went through a very public, um, you know, kind of leaving your job, searching for a job. And uh, one of them, well, in, in one of them, it specifically talked about tech evangelism. Mm -hmm. And you said basically, hey, if you ask five different companies, you'll get 10 different answers. So what's your definition, first of all, of uh, technology evangelist? And then being that you got hired uh, in your new role as a tech evangelist, are you actually living up to what you kind of prescribe, self-prescribed? Yeah, great question. So my definition of tech evangelism is pretty, pretty easy. It's basically your, it's my job to uh, explain build to explain the story of a given technology to a group of people who may not know what that story is and then help them understand how this technology can help make them successful and then build a community of people around it that can help drive the technology forward. Um, and... Uh, so when I was doing that job search, I really wanted a play, um, to find a company that understood what that meant. Um, because I think sometimes uh, tech evangelists, in certain cases, are more like sales, you know, like a salesperson. <laughs> you know, their job is to sell a product. And I think technology evangelism is a little broader than that. You know, if you're you, like you guys, EMC is obviously in the infrastructure business, a lot mainly in the storage business. There's a big difference between someone who only job is to evangelize um, Isilon or, or VMAX and someone whose job is to help people understand um, what software-defined storage is, for example, and how that can really, and how that technology can help them be successful in what they do. Yeah, I think that's, uh, my, I think that's my literal job if you were to ask uh, John Hyde. 
<laughs> as far as <laughs> software-defined storage and software-defined data center. So it, it's, I mean, that's kind of fun stuff, right? It's, it's good to always teach people about these things and let them understand the power um, of your business. And mm -hmm. so as, you know, with Rackspace in evangelizing, are you focused on evangelizing OpenStack or are you focused on evangelizing the end results of what leveraging OpenStack on or off-prem does for the business? Like where does that conversation yeah. kind of start or end? I think a little both. I think um, th I think th things have changed over the years and will continue to change. I think uh, when you're when you're evangelizing a kind of still growing uh, technology, there is a lot of hey, we need to help people understand what OpenStack is first and get them to understand why it's important. Because I because the idea is we need to grow the pie, right? If um, if uh, if adoption of OpenStack. Uh, grows even if it's not all with us. That's still great for us because we need we need a lot. You know, we need as much of the market to adopt OpenStack as that cloud platform as possible, and we just we want to get a big slice of that. I think obviously when you're uh, as we move forward and uh, OpenStack becomes more mainstream, that's going to be a little less of evangelizing the project and more of evangelizing the product sets that are being built around the technology. Um, so I anticipate that happening hopefully in the, in the next few years. Okay, so now we're going to put you right on the spot, and uh, we told you we'd ask you easy questions. So hopefully this one's easy. Um, <laughs> okay. And for and we ask easy questions because we don't know how to make hard ones. So um, for for I'm new to OpenStack. I have no idea what it is. Um, I I avoid Twitter at all costs. But somehow <laughs> I've come into IT, and somebody said the word OpenStack to me. Now I'm researching. Teach me what it is that OpenStack is, uh, how it started, and why in the world I care about it. Yeah, sure. So I think uh, the way I explain it is uh, OpenStack is basically a way for you to in, in empower developers to be able to access and manage resources as quickly as in, as simply as possible. Because at the end of the day, the most, uh, you know, with, with business going more digital, it's more uh, app being able to develop applications becomes more important than ever, and and we want to get out of the way of those developers, because when you get out of the way of developers, they they can be creative, and that's what we want. Um, and OpenStack is that uh, open source way for you to be able to take a platform and then kind of customize it and build it to uh, the way you need to build it so that a developer can get resources without having to jump through a lot of hoops. And so that way they can get their job done. So, Kenneth, you 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 talked about this being being an open source way to accomplish your goals. Um, kind of describe for me what that means, right? Because people always think open source is free, and we like to say <laughs> free like a puppy. But right. um, talk to me about your definition of of what open source means, and specifically in the context of of OpenStack. Yeah, so um, I tend to think of open source primarily as a development model uh, as opposed to a business model. So open source just basically means um, I'm taking the thing that I'm building, um, I'm making the source code, the, the way that it's built, freely, uh, completely open to a community of people, and that community can grow over time. Anyone can join that community, and they can offer the best, um, the best that they have to offer. And the community works together to decide, uh, based on all the input, what's the you know what the platform should look like. And the idea behind why open source is so great is, uh, we think that having I think uh, th you know tens and you know tens of thousands of of uh, contributors, you know over you know 180 countries or whatever, it's a it's that model uh, for building software scales better than a single company with you know. 100 developers <laughs> trying to build uh, this very large platform. Absolutely. And, and I guess kind of where I was leading with the question was, mm -hmm. you know, I was, I was talking with um, Hortonworks, right, which is a Hadoop distribution. Yes. Their, their idea was, look, there's Apache out there and there's this kind of, you know, this known quantity, but there's also all these distributions, the Hortonworks, the Clouderas, um, there's the Canonicals and the Mirantis and, and these kind of things. Like, what is what is your view of how OpenStack should be consumed? Should it be ah. kind of the the from the from the trunk, or should it be from um, some distro that's out there? 
Right. You've actually touched on one of my favorite topics, <laughs> which is the difference between OpenStack as a, as a project, as a product, and as a service. Um, so, and I think uh, that's a lot of people get that confused. They kind of mush the things together. So a project basically is that community of people who are constantly working on the code base with this particular software. And that uh, code base changes on a daily basis. So, um, and it's all, so in one sense, you can say OpenStack as a project is an ongoing, uh, ongoing uh, creation. And so you could certainly build an open uh, private cloud or even a public cloud using that project, but you have to know that, that um, things are constantly changing. <laughs> um, and these are like Lego blocks. You can, so you pick a point in time and you build something, but you have to build it all together put it all together yourself. Um, a product is what someone has done by taking a, uh, that project at a point in time and then packaging it up and wrapping it around, wrapping around certain other software products that fill gaps and packaging it in a way that a, someone can eas more easily consume. And then a service is basically saying, hey, we'll actually just manage and operate the whole thing for you. So the, the, um, the analogy I like to use is uh, basically, because I'm a, I, I'm, I love eating, <laughs> so now I like to use is food, right? So, a project basically would be like you going to uh, Whole Foods and saying, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy all the raw ingredients, and then I'm gonna uh, either come up with my own recipe or I'll follow a recipe someone that puts uh, put together, and I'm gonna uh, put it all together in some way, and that's and built my meal. A product would be uh, maybe you go to um, kind of a ready-made food uh, where you can all you got to do is stick it. It's already been put together uh, in a very opinionated way. <laughs> and you just stick it in the oven. And when it's hot, you eat it. And then a service would be I go to a four-star restaurant and I say, you know what? I'm going to let the master chef pick all, pick all the ingredients and also figure out the best way to cook it for me. And I'm just going to eat it when it comes out. Okay, and so and so, if we align that with uh, Rackspace um, specifically, you guys really don't have the the project type stuff out there, right? You're not making, you're basically not releasing um, a, an opinion or like a pseudo packaged OpenStack yourselves, right? No, so so um, when, maybe using uh, I'll use a couple of companies uh, kind of as an illustration. So uh, some companies like I believe like uh, PayPal, for example, have famous or Comcast have said, you know, we basically just, we pull from the open upstream project and built our own. So in that sense, so they, they, they what we call a do, uh, DIY, do it yourself. They've essentially created a, a product out of that project, specific, but it's one that only they consume, right? Someone like Red Hat has, or uh, we talked about Canonical, they've done all the packaging, and they've created a product, right? That uh, a user, a customer can use, uh, and they help with the deployment. But the customer is responsible for operating the thing from day two on. What what Rackspace does is we package up everything, but we actually not only do the deployment for the customer, we actually operate it day to day. So a customer doesn't um, actually uh, interact with the, the the product itself or the distribution other than to consume the end results. And so when you talk about something being opinionated and as a service and things like that, now when you talk about IT opinions, there's yep. plenty of people who trust the fact that Rackspace can run this thing off-prem on, on, in Rackspace's data centers and go do their business and, and mm -hmm. consume an infrastructure as a service based on OpenStack from you. You mentioned uh, private cloud experiences. Is that a... In, in their data center experience, or is that simply a closed up, non-shared infrastructure experience in Rackspace's data centers? Yeah, so um, we've actually got a lot of options in the area that recently came out. So um, so just to set some context, so again, I mentioned Rackspace runs the largest OpenStack public cloud today. So that's essentially a multi-tenant, right? Cloud, uh, cloud running in the Rackspace data center. If someone says, you know what, I, I can't, I'm, for certain workloads, I need a, a single tenant 
environment, maybe running only on hardware that only I have access to, as in terms as a in terms of being a customer, um, they can do that either at uh, in, in one of our ten data centers, um, or now in the customer's data center. And what's uh, the new thing we've added now is that you can actually do that in a third-party data center, say like an Equinix. So if you're a customer, you go, you know what, I don't. Uh, I don't want to run stuff on-prem. I'm okay running it in, in a co-log. And uh, I'm, maybe I want to run it in a geography where Rackspace doesn't happen to have a data center. Um, now they can just say, hey, I want to run it. I want this hardware, this gear, running in Equinix. I want Rackspace's private cloud solution running in that, in that gear, and I want Rackspace to manage it. Oh, very cool. Um, so yeah, I guess I'm trying to draw uh, analogies. Um, is it would you, would you say that it's somewhat akin to what Microsoft is doing with Azure uh, Stack and Pack? Um, I th- yeah, very similar. I, I think Azure, the Azure Stack is basically a, a way for someone to consume <laughs> ad, an Azure a cloud but one that only they have access to running on only in their hardware in a specific uh, geography. So in that sense, um, what we call, what um, Rackspace is called OpenStack Everywhere, our offerings basically um, doing, what, doing what we're doing with the public cloud and kind of shrinking it down <laughs> into a smaller form factor that can uh, go in any, pri- any data center that the customer chooses and the only they will have access to that particular cloud. Very cool. All right, so I, I know we want to dig into what everyone's actually dying to hear about was OpenStack Summit. So mm-hmm. it just wrapped up. How was it? Uh, I think this might have been, this is probably one of the better summits. Um, and I say that because I, th- right, I think rightfully people have been critical in the sense of that uh, all, so many of the past summits, it's been a fender fest. <laughs> you know, there's always the, Great, I see a lot of uh, vendors in the ecosystem. Where are all the end users? And uh, this, I think, this summit, there were more end users uh, than any uh, previous summit. So it was just great to be able to talk with, hear from people who are deploying OpenStack and talking with people who are thinking about deploying OpenStack. So an uh, example is I actually do, I did an OpenStack 101, um, and it, it was in a packed room, and I would say 75% of the people in that room said they were completely new to OpenStack. In most cases, had never even installed an OpenStack cloud before. Um, so I think that's, uh, that speaks well to the adoption uh, within, the com- uh, within the project. And uh, I think it, it bodes well for us as a community. Very cool. So you said 7,500 attendees. Yes. Um, so you probably talked to a whole heck of a lot of people what was the what was the biggest buzz? Probably the biggest takeaway, maybe even from the summit. Um, <laughs> great question. I think uh, from a kind of a I'll speak at it two levels. Kind of, uh, from an overall theme, I think people were uh, the big buzz was around this idea of um, OpenStack kind of have moved away from this idea that. We are going to take over the world in the sense that we will be the only ones that anyone wants to run in the data center and, and move to a more of a model of saying, hey, you know what? There is a lot of diversity in customer data centers. You know, people running VMware over here. Um, other people are starting to look at containers and some people are looking at OpenStack. And rather than try to uh, say you shouldn't run this other stuff, just run OpenStack, uh, that's you can. There was within the, especially in the keynotes, there was a th- definite theme of let's. We're working to make sure that OpenStack plays well with everybody, so that if you want to run, you know, um, maybe some of your more traditional apps, if you want to run containers, you want to run VMs, uh, OpenStack can be sort of the master control plane to help coordinate all of that. Hmm, very cool. So speaking of buzz. Um, you know, I think that uh, if you kind of follow the Twitters, you follow whatever, um, that the buzz for OpenStack, just in general, kind of ebbs and flows. Nice. Um, I feel that we came out of a, a pretty low period, like this uh, over the past, I don't know, eight, 
eight months or so. Do you feel like the tide is changing? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Maybe we're going through the trial of disillusionment, right? That a lot of t- new technologies ha- uh, fall into. Um, I think. I think what happened is that uh, a lot of people tried it out and didn't have very good success with it, and that negative feedback kind of, uh, you know, kind of filled the uh, the Twitter sphere and other social media. And I think what the community has really done is. They've made it much easier now to deploy it and to run it. And so I think people are starting to get more positive results. The other thing is, you know, that as you guys know, uh, getting a big customer <laughs> to come out publicly and say, hey, we use technology X can sometimes be a challenge. And when you don't see, you know, a lot of customers uh, making st- stating that we're using a given technology, sometimes people wonder whether that technology actually has, uh, has any legs. And but now you're starting to see people like Walmart and um, uh, Co- uh, Best Buy and and uh, Volkswagen uh, this time around basically saying, hey, you know what? We bu- we we believe in OpenStack and we're going to use OpenStack in production. And I think that helps uh, people be a little more positive about where the project's going. And those those early failures, um, there were some notes around the idea of. Um, the project's failing more because of people and process being unwilling to change versus, say, the technology itself. Um, there's still a perspective that the technology was overly difficult. Uh, and so fail- while maybe people who were willing to commit to change, if you didn't have an army of OpenStack nerds, that you were still going to fail. So where does where does that lay today? Yeah, so I I think... Uh, it can't be helped in some sense that there's a lot of complexity within OpenStack, right? Because at the end of the day, we're not talking about a storage technology or a high networking technology. We're talking about something that spans the entire data center. Um, and by virtue of that alone, it makes it very complex. Uh, and then you throw in the fact that there's, again, so much diversity in the, eco- in the technology space. You know, for example... Um, Within the OpenStack ecosystem, there's some 40 storage vendors, drivers. Um, so trying to pull all those pieces together uh, is, is always going to be uh, some level of complexity, right? which is one of the reasons why we, we uh, RX Space kind of really bully strongly in that uh, OpenStack is a service because we, we think for a good group of customers, that complexity is not something they can handle well. Um, and we don't want them to handle that. <laughs> we want to be able to do that for them. That being said, um, I think we're getting better about uh, being a little more um, helping customers be able to deal with some of that complexity. So um, you guys know so, um, sometimes customers go, choice is great, but when there are too many choices, it, um, it makes it very hard for them. Um, so one of the things, uh, for example, the foundation, OpenStack, foundation has done is they've started some working groups to build what they uh, built reference architectures so that a customer can go hey i want to build an open stack call that does this for this particular use case here's some guidance on what are the pieces that you want to put together to make that happen um, so i think uh, if we keep that moving forward uh, things like that that will help kind of alleviate some of those issues and so if we follow again that big theme, and you mentioned it earlier, right? Uh, OpenStack came out of the gates and said, we're going to replace Amazon. Um, mm-hmm. Not happening. Um, and we're going to take over the entire data center, um, both, both of which are grand designs. Um, mm-hmm. But it feels like the theme of what the target is has changed. And where the success lives is in specific projects. We see a lot of uh, carriers that are doing just the NFV portion and having massive success. Mm-hmm. Um, we see a lot of people who are leveraging certain parts of it, whether it be Swift or other parts for object that are having massive success. Uh, maybe not, you know, maybe not so much in like super large scale things. Who knows? I haven't seen a lot of big Swift scale, but so what it feels like to me is there's a shift in how it's targeted and it's much more focused, right? So, um, what do you think about that as far as what we think we see? Yeah, I think, uh, I, I think op- you know, OpenStack still wants to be kind of, the, um, in one sense, the, the, the mainstream data center management product, the, 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 pla- the platform for building um, clouds, private clouds particularly. I think what's changed is uh, 
what we're no, well, I think what the community is no longer saying is uh, we can build all the pieces. And instead, what we're saying is, you know what, the Kubernetes community or the Mesos community have, may have the uh, have the best way to manage containers. So in the past, I think some pe- there was some concern that people would in the OpenStack community would go, oh, look what Kubernetes and Mesos is doing on containers. Let's build our own container management system <laughs> at, uh, as an alternative. And we've moved away from that to say, you know what, let's work with those open source communities um, to, and, and integrate well with them and let let um, op- what the foundation says, let OpenStack be the integration engine to pull together all these other open source technologies and make it easier for you, make it easy for uh, end users to consume that those all those technologies through OpenStack. So as we as we move into day one um, and we talk about these things and all the technologies that they're aimed at, we saw a couple of different things, right? Uh, SAP uh, talking about an IoT cloud. Um, and, um, you know, Volkswagen, I'm not sure I'd hitch my story to Volkswagen at the moment. I mean, you know, so <laughs> they created their fraudulent application on top of OpenStack. I mean, I guess any press is good press. Um, AT&T, we've heard a lot about AT&T. And frankly, we hear, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the other carri- carriers. Um, the theme seemed to be op- open, big enterprises leverage OpenStack successfully. Um, did you, what else did you see out of that? Um, well, I th- I think that's a that's an important point. I think we are we're seeing great success with large enterprises. We're also seeing that those large enterprises have have to have been putting in a lot of engineering investment. Um, and I think that's um, I think that kind of speaks to the I think the question you had earlier, which is uh, the point you brought up earlier of uh, needing an army of people <laughs> to actually operate OpenStack. Um, so I think. That is still the case today. That there's still a lot. You still need a lot of people. I think uh, the good sign is that uh, enterprises now are, think that it's actually a worthwhile investment, <laughs> right? Before, I don't think they would have said, "I'm willing to put, you know, ten people to operate this platform." Um, but the fact they're willing to do that means that they think there is great enough value there that justifies that type of investment. And again, you know, our standpoint is for those who can't, you know. Employ ten super OpenStack engineers. Um, there are other ways to go to to not have to do that and still be able to take advantage of um, the open uh, of of the OpenStack platform. So yeah, interesting because uh, I know Gartner did a keynote uh, <laughs> right. at the summit, and uh, this comes up uh, in in kind of readings and doing research. But there was a there was a guy from Gartner about two years ago. That really poo-pooed the the notion of OpenStack in the enterprise space. Mm-hmm. Um, so here we sit, two years later. I mean, we just brought up, uh, you know, SAP and AT and T and Volkswagen, right? These are enterprise class companies that are, um, you know, they're using OpenStack. So is this guy eating a shoe now, or is he still kind of correct? Um, yeah, it's a quick. There certainly was a lot of Twitter discussion. <laughs> About Gartner and their position on OpenStack, um, I, I think. Look, I, I think people have the right to change their minds, or organizations do as well. And I think maybe two years ago there was some question about whether uh, enterprises would, would want to or be able to adopt OpenStack. Uh, I think obviously we're starting to answer those questions, um, but. It's still early, right? So I think that you're going to have some people who are still skeptical, and it's up to us as a community to win those skeptics over. Um, I don't think we win those skeptics over though by um, by trying to call them out on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, besides the fact that you know uh, fl- flip flopping on your your position is one thing. Um, I think a lot of the flack that I saw regarding Gartner was really around the fact that um, they got up in front of a bunch of people and kept talking about the bimodal thing as if they're trying to, you know, yes. it's, uh, I feel, I feel like we're watching a movie, you know, stop trying to make bimodal happen. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, what, what, what was the reaction there? It seemed like there was more flack about that than the fact that they changed their position. Yeah. I, I yeah, you guys know, I did. some, uh, some companies have do- adopted that bimodal, uh, IT theme and others have basically said is actually, is actually creating this, um, have kind of these two classes of people 
and actually dividing your kind of siloing your organization even more than you should. So I I'm not a, necessarily a big fan of bimodal IT. Um, that being said, I think there are certain things there that it gets to. I think is valuable. Um, I think, for example, one of the things it's getting at is uh, that when you start moving to kind of this next generation of applications, um, there is a change in the, not only in the technology, but a change in the in the way uh, in the people and the process behind that technology to make that technology work. And I think that is a valuable insight. I think it's obviously very debatable whether the best way to approach that is to say I'm going to create a I'm going to create a separate team that does that thing and then leave these other people behind uh, to to do the old way of things until it dies. Um, so again, people ha- can have different opinions on that, but I think the valuable insight is if you adapt something like OpenStack or Kubernetes or Docker, and then you try to do the try to operate IT in exactly the same way that you did when you, you're running you know, Unix, for example, um, you're probably going to uh, fail because that's not those, that, that, those processes don't lend itself well to the technology. And so uh, you know, as we talk about the you know, shift and things like that, and you mentioned you know, people are really have to shift the way their business is done, um, then you have to rewind and look at the instigators for why people are investing in the first place, right? Like people don't invest, people don't, uh, the CIO doesn't go upstairs and grab his CIO magazine of the Wall Street Journal and rip out the top of it and put it in somebody's mailbox the old school way and tell somebody to go, okay, go figure out what this OpenStack thing is because I wanna change my people and processes. Typically they do it because they go, I heard it will save me money. And so, um, and it, it actually the most recent OpenStack survey um, showed the number one reason why people leverage it um, was because of license savings. Um, And I personally believe it's a fallacy. Um, I believe it's a shift, not a savings. Um, And so there's other value, but it's not that. So Red Hat also talked about this on day three. There's an elephant in a room, and that is, what's the TCO for an OpenStack cloud? So Mm -hmm. is the takeaway the TCO is you save on licenses? I, I think people would like to think that is the case. I think I think I agree with you. That's probably the wrong approach to take. Um, I think it's more about uh, opportunity costs. Uh, in other words, it's more about the amount of new revenue you can generate by moving quickly um, and being able to be much more agile, right, by using these new technologies. Um, so no, so I agree with you. I, I think people who only do it for um, savings in the short term that may be the case, but again, like the free puppies, <laughs> starting after the first month, maybe even after the first few weeks, you, a lot of those savings get drained away by having to uh, employ a lot of people, maybe more people than you would normally have to. Um, which is again why we we like the idea of doing something as a service, so that you could. You can use those new technologies to generate more revenues, but you don't have to hire a bunch of more new people to operate them. Cool. So um, question then specifically regarding NASA. Um, Mm -hmm. So first of all, what was their involvement in OpenStack? Yeah. So it's uh, for for those, for uh, your listeners who may not know, um, the way the uh, OpenStack project actually spun up is that uh, Rackspace had been... Uh, operating a proprietary cloud called Slicehost, um, kind of based on a purchase they made. So, uh, uh, if you want to Slicehost, the best way to think about Slicehost is if you ever worked um, use DigitalOcean. Um, basically, Slicehost is like a digital ocean. Right? It's a very simple and quick way to get a VM running uh, on demand. Um, but what happened was as they were trying to scale that up. They started running into bottlenecks, and they at some point Rackspace decided, you know what, we want to, we need to, um, not only we can't just even refactor the code, we just need to write something new from the ground up, and they decided to use Python as the programming language, and at the same time, it turns out NASA was uh, wanting to build a private cloud, but they wanted, and they looked at a bunch of different alternatives, um, but they didn't find one that they wanted. So they decided they would create their own. And independently of Rackspace, they also decided to use Python. Uh, 
<laughs> as the program language. And I think that came out in some kind of article. And then so one of the executives of Rackspace basically reached out to NASA and said, hey, you're, you want, you're looking to build a, um, a cloud. We're looking to build a, a, a cloudless. Why don't we work together and open source this thing as a project to the world? Um, and essentially, that's what happened. So, Na- so NASA was very instrumental in kind of getting things going. So, in fact, the um, the initial, the first two components that were available with OpenStack in, back in 2010 was uh, compute or hy- hypervisor management and object storage. And basically, uh, Na- Rackspace donated the uh, object storage component. But NASA actually donated the um, compute or the hypervisor management, which is probably why it's called Nova. Ah, and I'm sure. Okay. I'm sure nobody w- you know expected when they started that this was going to end up where it did. You know, it's like uh, certainly open sourcing it, but maybe the the initial uh, attention that it got, and then kind of how it's evolved and things like that. Um, uh, it'd be curious to see who, when the people who founded that, if they thought this was going to be somebody's tool for running things like science labs and stuff like that, or high performance, or, you know, if I'm sure it certainly didn't start out as a, we need to replace Amazon conversation. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that, well, I think as you know, anytime you put a number of people in the room, you should probably have different, <laughs> different pans. I'm sure they were all different um, reasons why people thought this was a good idea. Um, I, I, I will say the one thing that I don't think anybody imagined was how quickly people would get behind the project. Um, I don't think uh, people anticipated that so many of the large vendors would jump in the, jump in and back it. Um, and I think that's, depending on who you talk to, that's been great for the project and in some ways maybe have hurt the project. Yeah, so I, you know, I, th- I guess I found it was uh, interesting. The reason I brought NASA up was all, obviously it's a phenomenal story. They're they're mm-hmm. they're uh, huge contributors to the OpenStack community. Um, there was an article years ago in in Wired magazine that basically talked about NASA is moving away from OpenStack and they're going to Amazon Web Services. Mm-hmm. But then there's uh, what came out of OpenStack Summit 2016 was the NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab just built a new private cloud based on the Red Hat OpenStack platform. So um, what's the truth to that story? Did did NASA, in fact, kind of abandon their baby and go to AWS and then come back? Or, like, just kind of walk me through that. Well, yeah, so I, I'm not an expert in that area, but I will say this. Um, the U.S. government is a big entity. <laughs> it's, NASA's a big entity. Uh, I think it gets back to the... Uh, and you guys know this, right? Working with a lot of enterprise customers, there are very few enterprise. There's very few big users where there is only one technology <laughs> that will be used by that that end user. It's um, there'll always be that diver- again. Back to that the whole idea of diversity. Um, so it's quite possible that certain portions of NASA or for certain workloads, they've decided AWS is the best way to go. But maybe for other workloads or another groups they've decided, hey, let's build an OpenStack private cloud. And that's fine, right? Because that's that's a reality of um, IT today, that no one uh, technology is really going to rule, rule them all. Yeah, and it's uh, kind of like uh, Fortune 1 over there in Arkansas. Everybody, every single vendor that walks in the room says, oh, yeah, um, you know, Fortune 1 is one of our customers. Every single that's time. Right. You know, it's just <laughs> the way it happens. They seem to buy one of everything. Um, right. So as we look at the specific uh, announcements that came out there, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier, um, and actually I think I, uh, from what I've seen of your blog posts and things like that, you're a bit of a, a Mesos fan, uh, or at least like it. Mm-hmm. And um, we saw a couple of things. One of them specifically was a thing called Stackinetti's, where right. um, this is by CoreOS, um, which I personally am a fan of, um, saying that basically, and they mentioned, by the way, that they said OpenStack can be a little fragile, and that might be on the deployment scenarios. Um, and so they're leveraging containers along with Kubernetes to be able to orchestrate and schedule and do all the things to deploy OpenStack inside of containers, and in this case, CoreOS containers. Um, right. What do you think of that? And you mentioned earlier, now, now you're talking about running an IaaS on top of a uh, container platform that might need its own scheduler. And then we see people who run containers inside of an IaaS and vice versa. I think you can run containers <laughs> inside of OpenStack. So it's like chicken or egg. What do you think of that? 
So I actually think um, I don't. Sorry, I don't know enough about Stagnetti's to tell you how whether it's, uh, it's really good or not. I think the concept though of running OpenStack services and containers is actually a great idea. I actually think I, th- I actually think running any app <laughs> uh, or most apps inside of a container could be a good idea, depending on what that you know, depending on uh, what the what that app needs. So um, Rackspace, for example, we actually run um, in our private cloud. We actually run all our OpenStack services inside of LXC already. Um, so I think uh, I think at the end of the day, what Stackernetis is trying to address is uh, um, in in the cloud. You know, you guys all heard the per- versus cattle analogy. In the cloud, you don't want to care about individual servers, but you want the service to stay up. <laughs> and so, in one sense, you could say the control plane is your pet because if that goes down, then you know, then you basically everything's done, right? So I think anything that can help make sure that the control plane is as resilient as possible um, is a plus. Um, so that's one approach uh, to doing that. I think it's a good approach. Um, I'm sure someone will come up with a way to use Mesosphere, uh, Mesos, for example, instead of Kubernetes to manage uh, the control plane for OpenStack, and that's fine too. Again, anything that helps with things like to keep the cloud service up and running it's, I think it's a good thing. And so the other thing that I saw, um, you know, a bit more proprietary to where Brent and I tend to take checks from, um, there was an announcement from VMware uh, towards the end of the week that VIO mm-hmm. 2.5 was announced. Um, you know, so VMware's integrated OpenStack. And we've seen this with some of the other VMware things, such as uh, the stuff that they have with Photon, where it's kind of the idea of you already have an existing VM environment and you want to try OpenStack, or maybe there's certain parts of it that you know are, are interesting to you, and you want to see how it works for you without investing, right? That whole fail fast, mm-hmm. fail cheap, fail fail often, whatever it may be. So, have you have you looked at VIO? Where, you know, where do you see VIO? Does it have any value in the community, um, or is it simply something that somebody's tagging onto for a bit of relevance? Um, so I think it's. Uh, so I talked to a lot of VMware admins. And I think VIO has uh, value for them in terms of being built. Again, kind of as you pointed out, it's, a, it's a, in some ways an easy way for them to try out and maybe do a POC, a lab using OpenStack. Um, but the reality is, um, except for a few customers, it, when it goes to production, very few people are looking at using um, v, uh, VMware as the underli- underlying layer. I think most people are going, you know, uh, straight to OpenStack using KVM, and, and that, this is not to, this is not to put down VIO in any way. It's just a reality that, um, and probably a corollary of the point you made that sixty-six percent uh, of users want to use OpenStack to lower costs. <laughs> so if that is the case, again, whether you agree with it or not, uh, I, it's probably counterintuitive to say let's use VMware. If the whole point is just trying to cut license costs, agree with that. So then, on the on the the reverse side of that, when you look at something like Photon um, mm-hmm. and the lightweight OS and that kind of stuff, is there a story around that which has been open sourced um, and this you know the existing VMware tools and you know knowledge and things like that um, and the one to one relationships and a bunch of other things that they're advertising with OpenStack, where now you've got an open source OS that's based on VMware experience running mm-hmm. OpenStack on it. It's kind of an alternative possibly to uh, Stackinetti's or running inside of Mesos or running it in LXC. Yeah, I, potentially, I guess. I, and again, the, I think Photon itself is so new that it's um, it's hard to know where you know exactly when it would be uh, mature enough <laughs> to handle production workloads and kind of where that fits in. I think, uh, I think, there's a good chance, you know, with an OpenStack project today, there is a uh, component for managing containers. But on, as I said before, it isn't, the approach isn't, hey, let's build our own container management system. It's, here's a way for you to integrate with something like uh, Kubernetes or Mesos or Docker Swamp to do container management. So I could envision, um, once Photon's ready, that um, we'll use that, mag- that project called Magnum 
to integrate Photon with Magnum uh, so that OpenStack users can use the OpenStack APIs to, to spin up a Photon cluster. So, so. Uh, next year, OpenStack Summit, um, we're looking at Boston and Sydney. Yep. Are you planning so, on being yep. at those? Certainly. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I, I expect a big EMC presence in Boston. I'd be pretty disappointed if there isn't. Yeah, well, well so you know, there was, there, there was the secret product that um, yes. everyone was kind of clamoring over at, at the OpenStack Summit. So right. we'll see what that's going to be here, uh, I don't know, next week. So I'm excited for the for the release. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be announced on Tuesday, right? Yeah, I think I think Ken has a little bit of insider information on that. He's cheating. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. No cheating, Ken. I think we all do actually. Yeah. I will not. Um, say, I will not say anything. <laughs> <laughs> so so Ken, let let's move on to just kind of OpenStack in general, right? So the latest release, Mataka, that we talked about, right? The it's based on a city in Japan. Uh, but it has nothing to do with uh, feature sets. So what's what's new in this release, right, that people should care about? Yeah, so I think um, the themes uh, of this release has really been around, let's make it, uh, I guess, three themes. One is let's make it easier to manage, <laughs> um, for if, particularly for operators. So uh, right now, so there were some things in place where um, some steps and some, some of this may, uh, some, there were some steps to configure OpenStack um, that used to take, you know, 20 steps that they're trying to get down a few. Um, the other thing is, uh, along that manageability standpoint, is one of the great things about OpenStack is there's so many um, options for configuring it. I think someone said you could conf- there's 300,000 op- um, possible configuration options based on all the uh, plugins, right? So that's a, that's a some people would say that's the best part of OpenStack. Some people would say that's actually the worst part of OpenStack, the fact that there's 300,000 options. Uh, and so what they've done in this release is they've taken some of the things they've learned about what, actually, for example, what's the best way to deploy Nova compute, and they've made those um, kind of best practices into default settings so that uh, you should get a better out-of-the-box experience with OpenStack. Uh, second thing is... Um, Around user and user experience, so you know, I talked about earlier. Look at you know, at the end of the day, what OpenStack should be or is is a platform for end developers to build great applications on. But they can't do that if the cloud is too hard to use. Um, so they've done some things to make it a little easier. For example, um, and one of the for example, one of the big steps was, uh, and some folks, your listeners may not know this, but um, of all. Uh, all the core projects have their own, or most of the core projects have their own command line interface. And so you want to use storage, you have to use the Cinder command line. You want to use Nova, use the Nova command line, uh, Neutron, uh, Neutron command, and so forth. That obviously can be vi- uh, an, a, block, a roadblock because developers just want to get stuff done. They don't want to have to learn five different command lines <laughs> interfaces, right? Uh, and what they've done in the Metaka release, they've created something called the OpenStack uh, client, which is basically a unified command line, a unified set of APIs that um, basically abstracts away all the other command lines. So now it's much easier for an end user to be able to spin up resources. And then the third thing was really around the idea of scalability. So it's, there's been some things in place put in place to help, uh, you know, as, as we start getting larger and larger cl- uh, OpenStack clouds, you start hitting bottlenecks that you, you start hitting bottlenecks at at five hundred nodes that you don't see at fifty, and so there's been some uh, things put in place to kind of make it easier uh, for for you to um, scale out an OpenStack cloud, and that and that's actually an area where Rackspace has been contributing quite a bit um, uh, because we've hit uh, pretty much every scalability limit that a customer could conceivably run into. We've probably hit it already. Uh, again, based on the fact that we run the, the uh, largest OpenStack cloud, so we've uh, so something like cells, for example, to to, uh, to partition things to make it uh, make it less noisy. Uh, those are the things we've put it um, that came out of Rackspace. That's now part of um, the uh, OpenStack uh, project. Okay, and you brought Magnum up earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. Describe for us what that is. Was that a, a Metaka release or? Something that was improved upon 
um, in this release. Yeah, actually, Magnum uh, is actually, I think, a year old. Um, it was, at least it was announced um, back in Atlanta, so that's probably in, the, in 2014. Um, and then have been slowly going through the process of becoming a full-fledged project within the OpenStack. So basically, um, Magnum is essentially a, an API set um, that allows the user to say, I'm going to create um, like a, um, what they call a bay. So it's basically an abstraction where you can place uh, containers in a container management system into that, con into that abstraction. And the benefit you get is um, you can actually plug in the other OpenStack services like Neutron and Keystone. And so now um, a, a OpenStack user can say, you know what, I will, using the same OpenStack client API, I can spin up a VM, I can do bare metal, or I can do containers. And, and get them all spun up out of OpenStack. And, but then once those things are spun up, you can go back and still use the uh, Kubernetes management tool or the Docker Swarm management tool. Um, so you kind of get the best, best of both worlds. So part of the other thing you, with all the vendors there that were at the conference and just when we talked about earlier, the idea of consuming kind of a packaged experience, you have Mirantis, Canonical, Red Hat, uh, Platform 9, whomever it may be, or even maybe this isn't how it's winning, but are is there one distro that really is standing out amongst all of them? and Or are distros taking a backseat to other consumption models? Um, great question. I think, um, I think that's still being worked through. I, I, actually, I think, I think that was all, I think the first thing people want to do is they try DIY. I just, and I think it's because there's a tinker in all of us that want to try something out first. Um, I think what happens is once you move into production, people start looking at distros. And if, you, if you're looking at distributions or services, then you are, you're likely to look after, to look to the vendor that you've, the partner that you're familiar with. So if you're a Red Hat Enterprise Linux shop, the most logical place to start first is probably Red Hat. Right. If you're an Ubuntu shop, you're going to look to Ubuntu. Um, what we're seeing, though, is uh, there's certain there's a large group of users who've dis, who who try that as well, and then realize that it's it's not that easy to to operate, uh, or as easy as they would like hope. And um, that's where we start getting some traction, where people will look to us and say, "Can you help us operate and run?" Um, and we're not the only ones, by the way, who are offering uh, OpenStack as a service. Uh, Cisco does that as well, and and so does IBM and a few others. And so, as you know, as people start to consume those things, are there um, w when you talk about the idea of getting it as a service and some of the opinions there, um, where do those things lag versus the actual releases? Right, like we just talked about uh, Mataka being out. Mm -hmm. What's the time before a uh, as a service experience has Mataka in it? Um, um, for us, um, it's usually a three to six month lag. So, for example, uh, Metaka's been out since uh, April, beginning of April or so, or end of March. Um, with our Rackspace private cloud product is using the Liberty release, and we expect to have Metaka, uh, the Metaka version out, late, um, say, like probably the Q3 timeframe. So about three to six month lag, which I think customers are okay with. I think um, they they used to most customers I know don't want to be bleeding edge anyway, um, and they and they appreciate the fact that we're basically spending the time to fully bake and test the, the uh, that new release before we uh, roll it into production for them. That's awesome, and that's I mean that seems like it's the average. I don't see anybody who can um, besides if you're doing it yourself. Uh, and again, yeah. in any enterprise, you know, how fast do you want to, if this is actually where your production's running, depending, as long as the output, yeah. I mean, do you really want to just go ahead and throw it on there day one? Um, yeah. yeah. It, se it seems like an interesting choice for your career. Um, <laughs> also depends on your maturity, to be honest, right, with, uh, and the apps that you're running. Um, not, most, most enterprises just aren't built to have that quick, uh, fast cadence in terms of upgrades. Um, but it could be done. Like in our public cloud, we actually take a, we actually 
pull from upstream um, on a weekly basis. So we're constantly upgrading our public cloud, um, po um, putting in patches and the like. So, but we, you know, we actually have a team that has a lot of experience in that area. So we're able to do that uh, in a way that maybe some other folks can't. We like to, somebody taught me this, uh, we like to call that a bunch of PhDs and ponytails who can really rock that out. And uh, again, you may save on licenses, but those guys aren't cheap. Um, so we talk about we talked about a lot of the things that OpenStack's doing, and we talked about all the adoption uh, and some of the different ways that it actually uh, is getting traction and a lot of successes and and a change in press and a shift there. What's the future look like, right? Like grab Ken's crystal ball um, and uh, you know let us know you know what you think is coming. You know as we get to Boston and some of the other cities, what are we going to see? Um, what are these stories that are coming out? Things like that. Yeah. So I expect that you'll start seeing more um, user stories acro across a broader spectrum of um, industries. So, you know, if you, you kind of track where OpenStack is in that respect, you know, all the early stories were with people like PayPal and Comcast. Um, and then you start getting the Walmarts, um, which are all still very like, uh, they're either um, next generation companies or large companies with, who have, can throw an army of people at this thing. Um, what I think you'll start seeing, uh, I certainly hope so in the next few summits, you, you're going to start hearing kind of the quote-unquote boring stories. <laughs> you know, the banks that just use it on a regular basis or, or the healthcare company or the uh, retail company. So I think, uh, again, more mainstream types of customers, uh, use cases I think will come out. I think the other thing you're likely to see, um, and again, and this is actually an area of debate within the community in some sense, is I think uh, um, you see more of a push towards let's make this um, something that uh, because the because the uh, data center is so diverse, let's make OpenStack something that you can run your you know your traditional back office application on. Um, and you and if you look at some of the uh, blueprints, so the the way open the OpenStack project works is if you want to bake in a new feature, you add in a you put together a blueprint that describes what you want, and then put in some code. If you kind of look at some of those, you're starting to see um, things that echo <laughs> what you may want expect from a you know quote unquote enterprise uh, platform product. Things like being able to do share storage, things like replication and consistency groups, uh, things like HA <laughs> and live migration, all the stuff that you guys, you know, uh, in the VMware space will sound very familiar to you. Um, I think you're starting to see a push towards incorporating those solutions into OpenStack running KVM. All right. I think we've got a lot to look forward to, and that sounds that yeah. sounds good. I know those... Those have been things, uh, shortcomings, if you will, that have come up from a KVM perspective. If you want to compare it to uh, to the VMwares of the world, uh, but um, so so I think that's it's great. I think we're seeing an evolution um, happening, and uh, we'll see if it turns out to be a revolution in terms <laughs> right. of uh, adoption. So, um, Ken, we really appreciate your time today. Uh, you've been a wealth of knowledge, uh, and we can't wait to get this out because I know people want to hear what happened at OpenStack Summit and kind of, um, you know, where the future, what the future holds for, for the, for the project. Uh, so yeah. let's go ahead and shut this down. But uh, Ken, where can we find you next? Obviously you just spent the entire week in Austin at, at the summit. Um, where are you going to be next? Yeah. So um, this is actually apropos, right? Because uh, next week um, is EMC well, and I will actually be there uh, as uh, Rackspace is a major sponsor of the show, um, and I will be at the Rackspace booth and also the uh, EMC Cloud Partners Pavilion, I think it's called. Um, and I'll be talking actually about OpenStack, uh, what Rackspace is doing there, as well as what Rackspace is doing with EMC uh, to build private clouds. Awesome. So, uh, so I don't know when this show will go out, if it goes out early, uh, if it goes out early enough um, and someone's hearing this before EMC World, you know, um, uh, happy to have you drop by and talk and ask questions. 
Absolutely. I'll, I'll force Brian to push it out a little bit earlier <laughs> than he's comfortable with. <laughs> but uh, so you're on you're on social media. So you're on Twitter. Yes. I've seen you. You've got a blog. So tell us about those and how we can hit you up. Yeah. Uh, so I'm um, I'm on Twitter at uh, Ken Hui N Y. So that's K E N H U I N Y. And happy to talk with anyone. Uh, my direct message is actually wide open. So you don't have to follow me and uh, and listen to me rant <laughs> and to, to direct message me. I'm ha- and I'm happy to have a conversation with anyone. Uh, and as well, I blog um, at my personal blog site. It's Cloud Architect Musings. And I also blog frequently at the Rackspace blog site. Okay, very cool. And we always like to ask our guests, um, do you have any reading suggestions? So whether it's books or websites, um, it can be industry or non-industry related. But um, – you know, what, are, what are you reading right now? Uh, so I just read, um, gosh, and I forgot the name of the book already. That's terrible. Uh, that <laughs> book about that book about by Dan Lyons. Uh, oh, Startup Hell. Okay. Um, uh, it's a little sensationalistic. Uh, so um, so uh, people should take it with a grain of salt. Because, uh, you know, I worked at a startup in, Silic- in Silicon Valley. And not every startup is the way he describes it. That being said, he has some points in there um, about kind of the culture that has developed around startups and sort of the way th- um, startups of value the valuations and maybe some of the ways of where sort of unnatural things <laughs> that P- VCs and startups do to try to pump up the valuations um, that I think is worth reading and thinking about in terms of how it impacts our industry. Um, so I recommend that book, um, awesome. and it's a, it is an entertaining read. Again, I, you know, you should you should have a skeptic's eye and not think that necessarily everything he's saying it holds true for every startup. Awesome, very cool. So Ken, I uh, certainly appreciate it. With that, everyone, uh, we encourage you to get get social with us online. Right? Um, we want to hear your feedback. We want to know what you want to hear next. Um, But uh, any way you can contact us, uh, we'd certainly appreciate that. So with that being said, let's shut down this episode of The Hot Owl. My name is Brent Piotti. And I'm Brian Carpenter. And thank you, Kenneth. Thank you guys for having me. You used his his big boy name there. (laughs) 